This podcast is brought to you by UK Coaching, here for the coach. Visit ukcoaching.org to grow your coaching skills and be part of the community. So, hello, James. uh, And thank you very much for agreeing to have a chat with me about the work that you're doing um, in in skill acquisition. I'm going to let you introduce yourself and um, and give us a quick sort of introduction to your particular area. So, yeah, uh, thanks very much, Marianne. I'm very excited to be uh, on this with UK Coaching. So, uh, just to give you a bit of a background on myself. So, yeah, my name's uh, Dr. James Stafford. I uh, recently completed my PhD at Queen's University Belfast in the Movement Innovation Lab. Uh, And my PhD topic was around aging and decision-making and how we mature perceptually uh, as we grow and uh, get into adolescence. And then also the the inverse of that as how does our perceptual skill and our decision-making change as we get towards the end of our lifespan as well. So sort of looking at this holistic piece of age and how skill acquisition and perception changes throughout the lifespan, how that influences what, when, and how we make actions. From that now, I am working, I am the business development lead at Incisive, which is developing techno- technology tools for skill acquisition and enhancing athletes' ability or what we call action intelligence. So it's the ability to act, be in the right place at the right time. So yeah, that's a very quick summary on me. Wow, that's really, uh, that's fascinating. And um, yeah, definitely have to have a look into some of the more stuff in, with Incisive as well. Um, yeah, lot, lot, lots of lots of interesting stuff there. So I'm I'm curious then for you to just tell us a little bit more about um, the the changes then from your perspective that happen. Just mm. maybe just do as a sort of a, a quick um, a quick romp through a life a life cycle <laughs> of a human mm-hmm. and, and what those key points would be to start with. Yep. Yeah, I mean, that's no problem. I suppose uh, what will be useful is you've sort of put it into sort of practical examples. So um, I'll sort of give you some concrete things that I've done in my own research. I'll sort of give you a flavor of how we evolve through age in terms of our skill act and also our perceptual expertise. So when we're, what I'll use as a practical example is the ability to judge when something will reach you. So essentially when an object will reach you at the eye and when it'll make contact. So what's something we call time to contact. Um, So when we're first born, so when we're an infant, we find that uh, babies and young children are very, find it very difficult to judge when an object will reach them. So they they find it, you'll find if you ever have a toddler that they bump into uh, chairs and furniture or they would sometimes have bugs fly into their eye. And the reason why that's happening is because they can't judge when to do what we call this defensive blink, so closing your eye right before an object reaches you. The reason why uh, children and uh, toddlers can't do that is because they can't accurately judge the time remaining until that object hits them. So instead, what children do is they look for easier, what we call perceptual variables or easier uh, information to extract from objects. So if you imagine somebody's throwing a Frisbee in the park and they're throwing it at you, you can sort of use different things to judge when you're going to reach out and grab that. You could say, okay, the, the Frisbee is this far away from me or the Frisbee is using or is traveling at this speed. But the problem with those two elements is that, you know, you can throw a Frisbee at several distances. You can throw it at 30 meters, you can throw it at 50, 100, it doesn't matter. You can also throw a Frisbee at different velocities. So you can throw it at, you know, the 10 meters per second, 15, 20 So these variables alone won't reliably tell you when to initiate that grabbing action. But the time will, because irrespective of how far away the Frisbee is or how fast it's moving, the time to arrival will always be the same because it encapsulates those two variables. What we find at young age 
is that children look for the easier information. So distance and speed are easier to extract perceptually than time because time requires you to figure out information for both uh, distance and speed uh, or sort of a higher order variable that encapsulates the two. So what they look for is simple sort of heuristic variables. An example of something we use to judge distance is the size of an object. So when an object's far away, it's very small. Where it's close to your eye, it's very large. So that sort of gives you this idea of okay, children need to learn how to intake this useful information or this time information more reliably. And how they do that is through experience. So you'll find that toddlers are clumsy. They bump into things all the time. But that actually serves a very functional purpose because they're learning, okay, I used distance to judge that chair leg was that far away. And I realized that didn't work for me. I bumped into it and I hurt myself. So next time I have to look for a different perceptual variable. And this is all happening under the hood. We're all uh, doing this journey of self-discovery to figure out what perceptual variables work best. And as you go through toddlers and you sort of uh, young age and you figure out, okay, this works for this, this works for that. You're gaining this experience through learning and through self-discovery. And you say, okay, for this scenario, we want to use this variable. And for this scenario, we want to use this variable. What's interesting, though, as you sort of get older is sometimes we're dealing with tasks that are incredibly difficult to do. One of the ones I do in my own research is crossing the road because what you're dealing with there is an incredibly high-velocity object, which is a car, uh, which can travel, you know, on, on motorways, you're, you're talking 70 miles per hour. So it's incredibly difficult to perceptually judge when that will reach you. So we find through our own biology that we're able to pick up that perceptual variable for time to contact at very high speeds at a later age. So even through self-discovery, you need to have enough life experience to gauge when these faster objects are going to reach you. So what we find in my own research is that children don't really perceptually gauge uh, time to contact of very fast-moving vehicles until they're around 10 to 12. And actually, coincidentally, that is around the age that children are given much more autonomy uh, when they're going out into the road. They're, they're able to walk to school by themselves at that age. The parents are giving them a bit, more, uh, a bit more responsibility. And then they realize, actually, through that responsibility and through that guided discovery, these children are now learning to perceptually pick up this high velocity of the cars. So they're going, okay, Children are learning perceptually to pick up the time to arrival of fast objects, which is something they never really would have had to require to, do, to be have done before. And just to sort of wrap that up towards the end of the lifespan, then you're looking at old age. The actual, the inverse of that happens where because of the degradation of things like the eye and the ability to pick up perceptual information, you find older adults very much struggle judging the time to contact fast-moving vehicles. So that gives you a very rough guide of through the lifespan in terms of what's changing and what's going on in terms of a perceptual expertise. Uh, um, thank you so much, James. That was brilliant. I love that sort of quick romp through an entire lifespan of <laughs> a human being. Um, I'm I'm fascinated with the infant stuff, which is which is really interesting. But I think I'm gonna I'm gonna actually come and ask you a question about the. Um, you're saying children are sort of 10, 12 years of age start to become much better at picking up fast-moving objects. And one of the things that struck me there was that um, clearly we haven't evolved over millennia to be able to pick up the speed of a car because things just didn't move that fast. <laughs> and I know I'm exactly. just distances as well. And so um, I can see that, that people might be 
think, oh, well, that's just a, you know, like 10 to 12 is just this age where maturationally we can start to pick up faster movement. But it's not that, is it? It's the fact that they are having, they're experiencing making those decisions. And clearly we don't want them to get hit by a car like the toddler in order to do that. So there's, it, it seems to me that there's a real important understanding that the, that, that ability to use perceptual information to inform movement, even if it's avoiding something or catching something, um, is very, very much tightened or connected to the experience. That, but, but experience with intentionality, because the children will have crossed the roads, but they're just holding mom and dad's hand, for example. So they're not mm-hmm. they're not having to make a decision. So that for me was fascinating. Mm-hmm. That really, that, that it seems that, that there really has to be this active intentionality. And, and ownership of what they're doing in order for that learning to happen. Is, is, would that be the case? That's exactly right. And funnily enough, uh, there's a researcher called Jody Plummer who's done that exact work to show if uh, parents guide their children across the road, they become far worse decision makers when they uh, are trusted to do their own uh, decisions because the autonomy is taken away from them. And that skilled intentionality, which is essentially what we're saying in terms of skilled intentionality, is the ability for you to tell your perceptual uh, systems to hone in on the correct information. So what we're really saying there is you have the intention to pick up the time to contact of the car. Um, So exactly right. So it's And actually you can accelerate that ability to pick up high speeds if you train children at a younger age and you give them the autonomy sooner. So, uh, for example, there's a researcher called David Lee who sort of really pioneered this time-to-contact research, and he shows that uh, for children as young as six, that if you give them practical road-crossing training, they can pick up high-speed vehicles at a far younger age than is normally expected. And it's exactly as you say, Marianne, is that if you consider development as this sort of binary at this age at age six you're able to do this at age eight you can do this and at age 10 you can do this you're actually doing a disservice to the child because they can actually they do have the skills to pick up that information but you need to let them discover it themselves through skilled intentionality through perceptual experience and through that sort of because it's funny because we sometimes don't think of it this way but parents are coaches uh, parents, we are set, you set yourself up the, these environments and these constraints for your children to learn, to self-discover. Um, so actually, you find parents make quite good coaches because they have that natural sort of inkling or, or sort of instinct to create these scenarios for, to uh, let learners discover. So yeah, exactly that. Um, it's through ex- guided experience and intentionality that we can accelerate learning and accelerate uh, skill acquisition. Uh, brilliant. And I'm thinking there's so many, well, almost every skill we do in, entails some form of t- that time to contact, doesn't it? Whether, whether we're hurdling or we're playing ball games or, um, or anything else. I mean, I'm thinking even a gymnast is still going to contact a, a floor, aren't they, at the end of a tumble? Mm-hmm. So because we operate in gravity and an environment, that time to contact is, is incredibly important. And, and I, and if I and what I'm hearing there is actually as a coach, it's really important that we're not trying to give children the answer either, like or, or doing the same kind of thing as holding a child's hand across the road. So, um, but but then I'm thinking about the toddlers and then thinking, oh, maybe you know what's really important with youngsters is that we've got things like soft balls and stuff like that because they clearly need to actually miss yeah. <laughs> as part of that early learning. 
and 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 it really experienced the the ranges of um of their interactions with other objects to yep. to allow that that time to contact and to develop yeah fascinating so i i I think before we sort of maybe have some other examples with sport, it would be interesting then to have a look at what happens at the um, at the other end, or may or maybe pick up that actually one of the things that happens is we change our action capabilities with skills. So I'm thinking about catching something, mm -hmm. and, uh, knowing knowing where something is going to land or if it'll land next to me is different for me knowing if I can move fast enough to get there. Yep. Yeah. So this is something we call calibration. So it's it's knowing your body's limitations. And um, it's funny because these two things lead into each other very well. So when we were talking there earlier, we're talking about perception. So we're talking about what we call, it's a scientific term, attunement, or the ability to pick up the information around us in the world to guide and uh, coordinate our actions. But that as itself isn't enough. Because, for example, let's go back to the Frisbee situation. Um Say you throw a frisbee at me and I know it's going to reach me in three seconds. At what point in that three seconds do I need to start my reaching action? Is it two seconds? Do I need to start reaching at two? Do I need to start reaching at one? 1 1.5? You don't know. So what you need to do is have this process of calibration and knowing how fast you can extend your limbs to reach out and grab the frisbee. That will tell you, and those two in combination will work together to, uh, for you to successfully intercept or catch the frisbee. So this aspect of calibration is super relevant, particularly when we're growing, because our action capabilities are constantly changing, particularly in adolescence when we hit growth spurts, is your calibration can change from one day to the other because you're going through these massive changes in your body. You're growing much faster than you do at any other stage in your life. And because of that, there are some interesting consequences. One of the ones that's most interesting is teenagers are notoriously clumsy. They are really, they drop everything, they bump into things. And it's like going back to the infants. The reason why is because their bodies are changing at such a rapid rate that the calibration they were using the day before is no longer relevant to the body that they have now. So they're working on an outdated calibration. So what they need to do is they need to reestablish what the Frisbee number is, what the time to contact number is. So yeah, uh, Last year, when I was catching the Frisbee at 13, my time-to-contact value was 2. Now that I've got longer limbs the year after, the time-to-contact value is now 1.9. So the value has changed, and that's uh, when you're working in sport where the temporal or the spatio-temporal constraints are so tight, and especially in things like cricket where you've got like 60 milliseconds to intercept the ball after it releases the bowler's hand, and the fact that you're changing weights of bats constantly, you constantly need to reestablish what this calibration is. When do I need to start swinging? When do I need to start reaching? When do I need to speed up? And um, so this calibration in collaboration with the perceptual information that you use dictates the decision. So if you imagine you have this diagram where on, on the left-hand side, you've got perceptual expertise. On the right-hand side, you've got calibration. And those two read up in a triangle to decisions so that's what those two are informing uh brilliant thank you um i'm i'm thinking then having having thinking about teenagers and their growth spurts and actually thinking about my son and what has he went through one of the things that's really important maybe is that um we know that the children are going to those teenagers are going to carry on growing but it's really important that they carry on 
calibrating, isn't it? And don't get our shucks. I won't bother doing anything till next year because it's all going to be outdated anyway by then yeah. because it's a lifelong yeah. process. And, and as we get stronger and we move, so although it's frustrating, actually masses is being learned there, I guess, for future calibration um, skillfulness, if that is a thing, mm-hmm. because it's because they are having to be really adaptive at that time. But the adaptation might not have to be as extreme in the future unless they're injured or something like that yep. but what they're learning is to be very good at being at ad- adapting as well would, would that make sense to- totally makes sense and i don't want coaches to be going away from this thinking that okay if the calibration is just going to go out of date then i shouldn't bother teaching them any any of that skill because what's going on here is exactly as you say the calibration just needs to be tweaked and as you're training the skill if you remember that triangle the perceptual expertise is always going to be learning and it's always going to be improving. So if you're constantly, um, you know, shooting balls at a goalkeeper, that they're constantly learning with every shot. Okay, this perceptual expertise is slowly refining. So the time to contact is getting better. I know exactly when that ball is going to reach this, uh, my body. And that's constantly being refined. But as you say, you need to keep at that skill because the adaptation is ongoing for the calibration side as well. They go, okay, I need to learn to move half a second sooner because I've, I've built up this muscular strength in my legs to give me more acceleration through my body. So it's a constant ongoing pace that constantly needs to be reevaluated and reestablished, but it's completely necessary because if you ignore that entirely and then you try to teach them this brand new skill, the, the, the learning process is going to be so delayed because they have to establish an entirely new calibration rather than having just to refine what you already have so the, the actual, the learning progress is far faster if you've been doing that continually rather than having to start from a, uh, a blank sheet of paper. Yeah, and I guess I guess one of the things there is just being able to reassure teenagers that that's perfectly normal process and it's not that they're suddenly not skillful anymore, but they, they, they're kind of working through this period of constant recalibration. Um, yeah, but, yeah but absolutely. For life anyway, because it's a great, it's one of the... <laughs> And like, yeah, no, I was just going to say, um, and also, you know, we talk about calibration in terms of body growth, but calibration isn't just your body uh, in terms of size, but it can also be fatigue. So throughout a match, you get more tired. Therefore, you need to calibrate again. So, for example, we'll go back to the Frisbee because we've been using this the whole way through, is that if I'm exhausted and I've lost uh, sort of the upper strength in my body because of uh, so much periods of running or whatever else, then suddenly my time to contact value has to go up because I need to accommodate for how tired my limbs are during that reaching movement. So it's also a good idea if you're doing training is to train under a variety of conditions in terms of what uh, putting the body under different stressors. So for example, if they're tired or if they're uh, both physically and sort of um, more around the sort of sleep pattern side of things as well, is just making sure they're calibrating to uh, the, the match throughout, or sorry, throughout the match, instead of just thinking of calibration as this uh, body size thing, because it's also to do with the physiology of the body as well. Oh, brilliant! I just it was making me think there about um, climbing and and how much I have to recalibrate if I, my arms start getting pumped and things like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That looked amazing a few minutes ago, suddenly vanish, and I realized no are impossible now. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but no, that's 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 a really good point and really a really interesting. So, um, I, and I guess that brings me to to that sort of idea that 
if we, like you've said, if we, if we as coaches help people to perform a variety of, of, um, of skills that are related to our performance. So being able to judge the speed of a car is not going to help somebody catch a football or kick a football necessarily because they're behaving differently. So mm-hmm. using, making sure that there's enough um, similar information that, that they're learning in that context and that it's not just like a skill you either have good reaction time or not it doesn't exist um (laughs) and we're we're learning those things but if we have variability then we're always learning to learn and we'll be able to adapt to other things and the important bit then is you think okay if you need to play a match or you're an elite performer and you need to be able to do it under fatigue or stress or you know poor visibility for whatever reason then those are conditions that you need to practice in as well uh, t- totally. And I can give you a practical example of that. Um, I'll going back to the sort of pedestrian road car example. Um, uh, children aged 12 to 15 are involved in a lot of road traffic accidents. And there's a specific reason for that is we were talking earlier about calibration. Um, children at that age tend to have a lot of books and a lot of folders because they're doing GCSEs and stuff like that. And what happens is they wear really heavy backpacks and you find that a lot of the road traffic accidents that are happening is because they have an outdated calibration. They are treating the gap of the cars as if I can get across there in five seconds, but that's without the heavy backpack. So they're not calibrating to all the books that they've got in their back. So they think I've got five seconds. I've got more than enough time for me. I can have crossed the road loads of times with five seconds and it's never a problem. But because the backpack is increasing or decreasing your action capabilities and it actually takes you six seconds to get across the road, what happens is they're getting crashed into by the cars because they have an outdated calibration. So it's so important that you train under conditions, under things like fatigue and different weight constraints and stuff like that. And as you grow, that you you do the same training sessions with your new body. Because if you don't, you're going to go into a situation where you can actually cause yourself harm because you're going into a tackle that you used to be able to make that now you can't, or trying to do a sidestep that you used to be able to do because you were lighter and now you can't do it because you've got you've gained so much muscular bulk. So yeah, it's so relevant to coaching. It's unbelievable how important it is. Yeah. Um, oh, brilliant. Um, I, I must stop saying that, actually. For <laughs> the last bit, I, I think it would be it would be remiss not to just talk a little bit about what happens in aging. And I think also because that could be other stuff. It could be somebody has an injury or they, you know, you start to lose sight for a different reason to, to, to see that this recalibration is actually something that happens throughout the whole of life. And I'm curious as, as somebody who's getting older and still and still um, very intent on continuing to play. I'm curious as well about how much maybe of the problems with calibration in in older age is the fact that they're stopping playing. And so mm-hmm. the, that recalibration opportunities isn't happening. Yeah, a far, a far less frequent rate because you've got, especially, and you see this a lot because um, I work in uh, elite sport with goalkeepers through incisive, you sort of see this a bit with older goalkeepers where what happens is you get a bit older, so they bring in um, a new goalkeeper and you're sort of often relegated to the second position, so you're the backup keeper. Um, but because you're not getting the same match uh, experience, particularly for second goalkeepers, because often they're not allowed to train under match academy scenarios because they're afraid of them getting injured. 
So they are really devoid of match practice because they're so afraid if our first team in, uh, goalkeeper gets injured, we're going to have to bring him in. We don't want to risk him getting injured in training. So we're just going to make sure he trains the minimal amount in terms of a match play. So what happens is when the second goalkeeper is brought in, they're like, okay, I'm, I've, I'm working on this outdated calibration and I, I used to be able to dive to get that so I can surely I'll be able to get it now. And it's not the case because their body is, is particularly when you're getting towards, um, towards sort of middle age, is that you're starting to see these slight changes in uh, the body's uh, physicality that aren't totally noticeable right away, but they have a substantial impact when you're working in elite sport. So you find then that they're working on this outdated calibration and they're suffering because of it because they're going for shots they thought they could save that they can't. Uh, so it's super relevant. I mean, the stuff I do in my uh, research is around sort of very much the very end or, or sort of the very opposite end of the lifespan. We were talking about 75 plus. And it's really interesting to watch them because there's sometimes they operate with a body, a, a calibration that they used to have 30 years ago. So they're going, I, I you know, when I was 45, I could get across at that speed. And you're like, that's really outdated at the calibration. There's no way you'd be able to get that far fast across. But because they're not, because the body's changes aren't totally subtle in terms of um, experience, because they're maybe not crossing the road as much as they used to, they're not uh, out as about as much as they used to be. It's so outdated that it's they lack that experience that they need to keep it in touch. So what you'll find is a lot of research now is pushing for elderly pedestrian simulators because they're getting them to practice in the VR crossing the road to keep that calibration up to date so then they don't actually get up in a traffic accident. Oh, uh, yeah, great. And I, 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 and I guess that as well um, would link into things like, you know, slips and trips and other stuff like that. that yeah, you know, yeah. That, that we going back to that adage of that you know we don't we don't lose that ability because we get older we we get older because we stop moving basically M move it or lose it uh very much so and po postural uh, control is the exact same it needs to keep an updated calibration or else you'll fall so it's the exact same logic yeah and i guess uh, this is slightly off topic but i'm going to go there very quickly at the end of this i just because postural um that postural calibration, I find toddlers, because they've got such big heads, babies, they have to work mm -hmm. so hard. It's like, you know, it's like they're banging into things, isn't it? You sort of feel a bit sorry for them. So they spend all their time trying not to fall over because their head's too big. And it's like yep. pushing them out of balance all the time. So every time they move, they used to, not, not that I used to laugh at my son when he was that age, but. <laughs> but that, that's so true. And um, Audrey Van Der Meer does really interesting work on this. And she looks at um, when babies are very, uh, just newborn babies, and they look at their limb movements. And what looks sort of sporadically random is actually very intentional movements of their limbs. But it's because the head is so heavy that they can't coordinate it properly in a, in a sort of meaningful way to us. But it's meaningful to the baby because they're doing all this skilled intentionality with their limbs. So it's all relevant and it's all sort of focused on... Uh, going back to the idea of intentionality and guided discovery. When we're first born, we do it. So why would we stop doing it as a coach for our, our you know, our young kids and our adolescents? It has, it has to be this ongoing process throughout the lifespan. It's not something you have to worry about when between the ages of 10 to 18. It's relevant at every stage of the life. Great. I think that's a good time to wrap up then on those, those sort of like key bits. Um, so I'm going to start with definitely we need intentionality. So whatever we're doing as a coach, it's really important that we give um, 
we make sure that the athlete we're working with is the one that's making the decisions and taking, you know, and, and deciding what they're doing and why they're doing it, that they have complete ownership and autonomy over their interaction. Because otherwise, it's almost like we rescue them from learning if they don't. Yeah, absolutely. I, and it's, it's going back to that example of the parent guiding the child across the road. If they're if you're doing intentionality for them, they're not going to extract the information they need from the world or need from the sporting environment to make the decision. So they won't pick up the time to contact because the parent's doing it for them. So you'll find then if you're a coach and you're overly coddling an athlete and you're telling them, when this happens, you need to move like this. That uh, learner will never figure out, okay, it's a time to val contact value. This is when I need to move because it's my action capabilities that'll get me across. So, uh, yeah, guided discovery and intentionality is massively important and it's something the coach should keep in the forefront of their mind before anything else. Brilliant. And, and then giving them lots of different experiences, stuff that they can actually make mistakes without having any disasters. So maybe change the balls, mm -hmm. things like that, if, it, if you need to. And setting up environments that are allowing, um, allowing the, the people you're working with to learn that time to contact, as you call it. Um, in, in a way that's meaningful for them. And like we say, we, we as an adult can't remember what it's like to be a child. We've got no understanding of what their lived experience is and, and theirs is changing as well. So um, we can't have the answer for them. Um, no, absolutely not. And, you know, it's why um, I've been so drawn to my work here at Incisive is um, the ability to give a goalkeeper who's still learning the game and learning when a ball will arrive at them it's learning that through multivariate experience and different, as you said, different size balls, different size goals, different match play scenarios. So what we use is virtual reality because it's perfect for that because you can simulate an unlimited amount of, of scenarios. So you're giving them all the types of experiences they need to pick up the time to contact the ball, to predict where it's going to go based on the information that's unfolding through in, in your eyes. So Giving that, uh, as a coach, creating those uh, multivariate or uh, different varieties of experiences is going to ultimately benefit the child for, or the athlete for two reasons, and it's to improve their calibration and to improve their perceptual expertise. And those two together will come and form the decisions. Perfect. And, and the key bit there is that it's not about practicing doing something correctly or managing to catch a ball right every time because actually, again, that's going to rob them of the experience of being able to... To, to no, they, they, they need to make mistakes. Yeah, they need to make mistakes. Um, you know, if that child didn't bump into that furniture when they were an infant, we may still be bumping into things now because we never learned anything different because uh, everything was perfect and we never made any mistakes. Mistakes uh, are, are hugely important to perceptual expertise and picking up that time to contact or whatever variable you're interested in. It's, you need to know when it doesn't work to know when it does work, essentially. Fabulous. I thank you so, so much, James. That was absolutely brilliant. Um, loads to take away there. And we will definitely make sure that there's a little article and a little, you know, something that you can have a, a, a quick recap from this. But um, thank you very much for your time. That was brilliant, fascinating, and, um, and loads that is really, really applicable to coaching and skill acquisition. Uh, thank you so much for your time, Marianne. It's been a pleasure. And uh, yeah, just looking forward to what UK Coaching comes out with next. Join us at ukcoaching.org. Whatever you're doing to help people be active and improve, we can help you deliver great coaching experiences at a time to suit you.